The presenting sponsor of Top Docs is Netflix. With the Oscar nominations announced and voting just around the corner, we want to call your attention to our interviews with Academy Award-nominated filmmakers. For example, check out our conversation with Anne Alvergay and Deborah McClutchy about their film, The Martha Mitchell Effect. Martha Mitchell, the wife of former Attorney General and Nixon campaign chief John Mitchell, was dismissed at the time of Watergate as being crazy and even a drunk. She was, in fact, the victim of a well-planned gaslighting campaign hatched by Nixon, his top aides, and even her own husband. Stunning in its revelations and highly immersive in its cinematic approach, this powerful film will grant you a new perspective on those dark days of American history. You can watch The Martha Mitchell Effect now on Netflix. Hi, I'm Ken Jacobson, and welcome to Top Docs. Today, I'm talking to Jay Rosenblatt, director of the Oscar-nominated short, How Do You Measure a Year? In this film, a father, Jay himself, interviews his daughter, Ella, every year for 18 years on her birthday, asking her roughly the same questions every year. Last year, at about the same time, I interviewed Jay because he had an Oscar-nominated short last year, When We Were Bullies. What makes this film really fascinating is it covers such a long span in his daughter Ella's life. So we get to see her as a toddler, and then she grows up through adolescence until she becomes a young woman. Jay has etched a really amazing career for himself making these kinds of personal, bespoke films. And it's great to see that the Academy, for the second year in a row, has acknowledged Jay's unique artistry and place in the industry. If you like this conversation, please do subscribe to the podcast. And you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Top Docs Pod. And now, my conversation with Jay Rosenblatt, director of How Do You Measure a Year? Jay Rosenblatt, welcome back to Top Docs. Glad to be back. Jay, can you give us a brief logline of your film, please? Sure. How do you measure a year? Gives the viewer a chance to watch time, to see a young woman come into focus physically, emotionally, and psychologically. Last year, I spoke to you about your Oscar-nominated documentary short, When We Were Bullies. This year, you're back in the nominee circle with How Do You Measure a Year? Both are very personal docs. When We Were Bullies primarily mines your own past, focusing on a key incident from your elementary school days. The film we're here to talk about today, How Do You Measure a Year, focuses the camera on your own daughter. What's different about making a film that's primarily about your own life versus making one that's primarily focused on your daughter? There's a lot of differences, obviously. One is looking back to a fifth grade incident and the ramifications of a bullying incident. But the new one was made over a 17-year period. And then if you add on the editing, basically 20 years in the making. As long as the when we were bullies took, it wasn't 20 years, it was four years, which is more my average length. But this was a very long-term project, longitudinal project, I would say anthropological project in some ways, to um, revisit with my daughter every year on her birthday and see her growth. It was pretty 
amazing in that respect. One other difference is as much as I loved when we were bullies, the making of it and all the different elements, I wasn't in love with the subject matter. In the new film, I'm obviously very much in love with the subject matter and I could just enjoy watching the outtakes. So I'm wondering if when you first turned the camera on your daughter when she was age two, did you know you were making a film or did you think you were just recording her and maybe doing an exercise that would stay within the family? I knew I was making a potential film. I didn't know until I actually looked at the footage 17 years later that there was a film there. One of the reasons I knew there was a potential film, when I started this, I had already just finished a film called I Used to Be a Filmmaker. And it was her from birth till age 18 months. And it was pretty successful. It was on HBO, it won awards. With that success, I knew that there was a potential film there because of that and because of some other films that I worked on with her until age five. I didn't look at the footage each year. I don't know why I didn't do that. I don't know all the reasons. Some of it, I didn't want to jinx it. Maybe there was an element that I wanted to surprise myself when I finally looked at it. But a big reason was I was filming with an old camera, the Sony PD-150, and I kept filming with it even past, let's say, the due date of that camera. I didn't know if the sound was working because in my headphones, the sound kept going in and out. And the images, I wasn't sure it was still coming out, but I didn't want to switch cameras because part of the concept was to have her in the same spot, same question, same look. I didn't really want to look at it because if it didn't come out, I would have been crushed and then I probably wouldn't have continued. And I wanted to just continue doing it. At the very least, it would just be some archival footage for her legacy, just to have that. So even if it didn't turn out into a film, I knew that it was worthy to keep doing it. It was a little different than home movies in the sense that home movies I did also, but I'd pick up a camera, just film whatever she was doing at that moment. This had a real structure. It had a concept. So it, it felt like it had the potential to end up being a film. Speaking of structure, you do more or less ask the same questions every year. Did you have those questions set from the outset? I had some of the questions set from the outset, yes. As the years went on, I would add a question or two based on her age. One question that you hear several times in the film is, I ask her, what is power? And I started that right from the start, and I think I um, ask that every year. And then the highlights and low points of the year, I would ask her, some of the questions like, what do you want to say to your 25-year-old self? I didn't ask her that when she was two, three, four. I, even when I do ask her, I think she's like 10 or 11, and it's a hard concept to get. Yeah, you mentioned that question, what is power, which for me is probably the most striking question that you ask in the sense that it wouldn't immediately come to my mind to include that in this kind of an interview setting with my child. What was behind that question? It's hard to think back. We started this in 2003. So we're talking about 20 years ago. <laughs> I assume the reason I asked that is I thought that would be a good question for a little girl to answer, to ponder. Maybe it would be empowering for her 
I was just aware of like, you know, what girls have to go through growing up. As the years went on, I thought, oh, I wish I asked about this or that. But I didn't feel like they were the greatest questions. I don't know if it really matters because I think the power of the film is not just the answers to the questions. It's what you're seeing. It's what you're seeing physically. It's the changes. It's the way she presents herself. Another one that stood out to me was, what are you most afraid of? That one kind of made me think because it definitely could lead into darker spaces of the mind. One of the things that's intriguing about the film is that you do see the light and the dark. Yes, for sure. I think asking her that question when she's very young is just wanting to explore what goes on in a little kid's mind. You know, what are the kinds of things they're afraid of? Is it darkness? Is it nightmares? Things like that. But I think the light and dark don't really come from the questions. I think they're more the stages in her life, especially those teenage years start getting a little dark. Yes, indeed. I'll get to that in a bit. One last question you ask, which I think takes the film in, into a different space is, how do you feel about me and you? Because that obviously gets to the dynamic of the relationship between father and daughter and filmmaker and subject. Exactly. And that one I did start at the very beginning. That's one of those ones that went all through the time. She even answers it when she's two and she doesn't have great command of the English language, let's say, but she does, oh, that feels good, which I loved that she was able to say that at that younger age. As the years progress, she talks about us fighting and some conflict. But the remarkable thing, I think, with her is how we did fight. Like, I'm sure most parents and kids fight at different times, but she had a great ability to move on and not hold on to things. I can't say the same for myself, but she could move past a little squibble or altercation we might be having and just make like it didn't happen. And she's very forthright and I think answers it honestly. I think one year she thinks about it and she goes, pretty good. There's just a real honesty to her that I really appreciate. From an audience perspective, we also are in your shoes a bit. Literally, we're in your position vis-a-vis -vis the camera image. You ask the question, so she answers it. And in our mind, we're like, okay, what's Jay's response? <laughs> How does Jay feel about their relationship? And yet we really don't hear your side of it. And that's part of the structure. But what was it like for you as a father and as the filmmaker to just let her answer sit there? I mean, you're not totally silent, of course, in the film, but you don't it's not an exchange. I mean, I felt like I was involved enough in the film behind the camera and in formulating the questions and setting up the whole scenario. It is about me and her, but mostly about her, a little bit about me, but more elliptical about me. There are moments where I do respond. There's, I don't know if she's eight or nine, maybe she's a little older, where she says, you'll still be alive when we see this, right? And I have to respond to that. I just, again, I was thinking, wow, she's talking about my death in such a yeah. light, very light way. And she just found that pretty remarkable. Let's go through the chronology here. From ages two to five, Ella, I would describe those as kind of the cute years. But 
those are also years that are incredibly important in terms of human development. One could say cute, but I would say there was a lot of humor and it was very funny. Some of her things that she did in those years. And a great plays on words as well. Plays on words, yes. Not self-conscious at all. So there's a purity and beauty in those years. So ages six and seven, we do start to see changes in your daughter's appearance. Her hair gets longer, straighter, and darker. Mm -hmm. She begins to develop more sophisticated verbal skills. I think it's at age eight that I first noticed the appearance of jewelry. Um, <laughs> and I think that's also the first time she sings on camera, which she then does a number of other times. Age nine is when she mentions she's afraid of not fitting in and being made fun of. Right. And the concept of her own popularity comes up. And age 11 is when I first noticed some makeup. Yeah. This age range in here is when, you know, socialization and friends and school culture are probably becoming bigger and bigger factors in her life. Yes. Would you say that what we see in the video of those years accurately reflects those factors playing a bigger factor in her life? Oh, I think absolutely. I do. Yeah. The socialization that you get in school and with friends and peers only gets more intense as the years go on. I agree with everything you said about that. Socialization becomes much more prominent in terms of peers, school, looks, jewelry. I will say, though, she does sing at age five. She sings her own made-up song about saying goodbye to age four and saying hello to age five. So there was singing in her life way back. I just didn't include it all. And then age 11... We see a big change in her looks, too. I think she might have even blow-dried her hair. She was just poised in a different way than the previous years. I also loved that age 12, the video starts with her using American Sign Language. It seems like a kind of marker for a lot of young people when they take up that language. She got very interested in that. There was a uh, some sort of kid show that had deaf people in it. And she was really into that. And then she started teaching herself. She got some books. She stayed pretty interested. And she even took some classes in sign language. I don't think she's kept up with it. But last year, a little aside, at the Oscars, she met Marley Matlin. And she signed for like, you know, 20 seconds with her. Were there moments when you were going back over the footage and you were like, oh, yeah, I remember what we were going through as a family during that period. Along with that, were there moments where you're like, wow, I, I may have missed something, but I see something here by looking at this footage that tells me something about what we were all going through at that time? I don't think I had any surprises like that. I remember she had a tough time around age 14. So the fact that it showed up on her birthday, that wasn't really a surprise. I hadn't watched the footage for six years from that time. It brought back some of the different stages, for sure. But in a way, the film is capturing one day of her life each year. So it wasn't always indicative of the entire year, but it was indicative of something, of the moment we were in. I do think that particular year was reflective of the kind of way she was feeling 
in terms of her mood. But, you know, I see elements, even an adult now, I still see a lot of these different elements in her at certain moments, depending on the day. The footage of age 14 really does stand out, I'd say, from pretty much every other year, because there is this sort of darkness that is present and a sadness. But as you say, it was just one day and also just perhaps a temporary stage. What's interesting is the next year, age 15, her whole disposition seems to have shifted. She says it's a new experience going into high school. She just seems really energized and excited by high school. And I couldn't help but think about my own life and how middle school was the worst three-year period of my life, probably. And high school, freshman year, was just a breath of fresh air. It made me wonder, you know, is there something about the middle school experience in California that is just universally awful? I think middle school years are tough. Personally, high school wasn't great either for me. I felt like I really blossomed in college. That's not always the case. Some people have the peak of their life in high school. Myself and my friends, my high school friends, we were kind of on the outs, outside of things, I would say, socially. I think junior high school is a very tough time. I was a substitute teacher for a little while, and junior high was the worst to sub for. Kids were out of, so out of control. I think she had an okay middle school. It's just, it's a tough time, especially, I think, the girls at that age, and especially in this day and age with social media and all, we've read a lot about that. And I think a lot of it's true. It's had a very detrimental effect. When she went into high school, she just made a new group of friends. And I think that changed everything. She had some really deep friendships, which she still has today. Her high school friends are probably closer to her than her college friends. By 16, Ella seems to be getting a bit impatient with you. She wants things to go a little faster, and you also seem to feel a little bad about the whole thing, going so far as to apologize at one point. Over time, how did she express how she felt about this project? We do see one great scene with her grandmother on the phone where it comes up, but what can you tell us about Ella's feelings that she expressed to you, maybe off camera, about the project? And did they evolve over time? Well, they did evolve, yes. I think it started out when she was very young. She was just doing something with me, and she was just acting crazy, doing whatever she wanted. And I just was hoping that we could get through the 45 minutes. As she got older, especially when you mentioned 15, 16, 17, she was still willing to do it, but she wanted to do it quickly because she had plans. She wanted to see her friends. We had to, pretty much needed to do it during the day, I didn't have artificial light set up. It was all natural light. After, I think, age six or seven, I didn't have my friend Thomas helping me shoot it. So I was doing everything alone, and I'm not that good technically. I was taking a little more time, doing more testing, making sure that hopefully it would come out. And I think she was getting a little impatient with that as the years went on and as she had more plans for herself. Maybe at age 16, 17, she really sees the benefit of it. And she's almost convincing me that it was a great thing we did. Because I'm not having doubts about doing it together, but I just didn't know if I was asking great questions and 
where it was all going. And she was saying, I love rituals. The film basically ends with you asking Ella if she'd be willing to talk to the camera without you present. And she is willing to do that. First off, when did you think of that idea of giving her that opportunity to talk to the camera without you there? Did you always see that as a potential ending of the film? No, not at all. I think that came into my mind the last year because I was just nervous that we didn't go deep enough, that maybe it was too superficial. I didn't, I didn't know. And I flashed back when we made this film called Beginning Filmmaking. It was her from age four to five. On her fourth birthday, I gave her a camera for her birthday. And the goal was to teach her how to make a film that year, one year. During that time, what ended up happening is she really couldn't handle the camera moving around. I mean, it was just like, wasn't usable footage. And her ideas for making a film were not doable. Like they had to do with fairies and other things that she was obsessed with at the time. So what we settled on was that she set her camera up in my office and she learned how to turn the screen around so she could see herself. And I just had her whenever she wanted. It was always in the room to go in there, shut the door and talk to the camera. So that was going to be her film, like a journal or a diary. So that I think that thought came back into my mind at age 18, like maybe she just needs to be alone to talk to the camera. Maybe my presence there is keeping it from getting more intimate. And I say to her, like, just maybe we can make it a little more intimate. I had no idea what she'd say. I just thought, well, let's experiment. It's the last year we're going to do this. Let's see what happens. And that was it. The year was over. I didn't look at the footage until COVID. She was around 20 when I looked at the footage. And then I saw that scene and I was so moved by it. I couldn't believe what she said. Just chokes me up even thinking about it. No, it wasn't like a plan from the beginning. The only thing that kind of was different with age 18 was I did decide to use the new camera I had. I had gotten it probably when she was 16 or 15 or 16, but I don't know if this was a mistake, but I didn't want the look of the film to change. So I stuck with this old camera, which I didn't know if it was working well. But at age 18, I decided to have both cameras going. And I decided that since it's the last year, I could justify it somehow. And then actually, this was not planned either. But in the editing, I realized that the framing was different. One was four by three and one was 16 by nine. So I don't know if you remember this, but in the film, the frame widens when she's talking to the camera alone. And that seemed just to be a really good use of the new camera, to give it more, I don't know, space. She's growing up. It felt metaphorically opening the frame just felt right at the time. The film is measuring, showing or measuring Ella's aging process, but it's also a measuring stick of your own aging process. We just don't happen to see you on camera. What can you tell us about uh, how you measured those 16 years or so. You do see me a couple of times. Uh, and True. You could see the gray's getting more. Yeah, it wasn't about my aging per se, but obviously it's there behind the camera. But also you're, those are years when you're making films and 
you're evolving as a filmmaker. So how did Jay, the filmmaker, evolve over those years? And did that impact this film? I don't know. I can't answer that. I think I evolved more as a parent than as a person, than as a filmmaker. I think I was making many ways the same kind of films. I would say with Bully's film, there was a shift because I was working with some elements I've never worked with, such as animation, which was a big element to that film. But through the years, I've been making these collage essay films. And then parallel to that, I've been making these personal diary films with her. The ones with her ended at age five until this new one. And that was mainly because it became very clear to me with beginning filmmaking that she was developing her own personality. And I wanted to keep her life private at that point. I just didn't feel comfortable keep putting her out into the world when it might potentially have an impact on her growing up. So I just stopped after beginning filmmaking even though we kept making this film. And this film, I felt comfortable because she was already an adult and she could give her consent and say, it's okay. Even though she was a little embarrassed here and there, she said, okay. How do you think making the film all these years opened up a pathway to communication between the two of you that might not have existed without it? Again, we've talked about this is just one day a year you're shooting, but... Nonetheless, it strikes me that it is a powerful means of communicating. There's a few differences with just home movies. Home movies are to have, I'm so grateful my dad shot regular eight footage. He didn't shoot a lot, about 11 or 14 roles, but I've used them in many of my films. From the start, Ella knew that filmmaking was a passion of mine. And from the start, I wanted to include her in that in some way. And it was initially just a way that we could spend more time together. But as time went on, as she's gotten older, she gives me feedback on my films. She's a bit more involved in the process. One point, she thought she might want to be a filmmaker. That changed very young. She decided, no, that's not for her. I never pushed it. But I did like her being part of that part of my life, let's say. So we always knew we could go back to it on the birthdays. As she got older, if I pulled out a camera, she put her hand up and she didn't want to be filmed. If you saw my mini DV tapes from the first few years, there's like 20, 30 of them. And for the last few years of her childhood, there's like two. It just got so much less. I would just pull it out for special occasions or if she'd allow me to. This process has been a very beneficial process for both of us in different ways. I think she was just part of my professional life in a certain way by being the subject in some of the films. But it also, I think it transcended our parent-child relationship. And at times we were like two colleagues working together. I'm grateful for that. When it came time for you to gather up the footage and start editing it, and you had decided, okay, I'm going to make a film out of this. Was she at all involved in that? Did she look at cuts of the film? Yeah. Just to clarify, until I looked at the footage, I didn't know if I was going to make a film. Once I did, it was so clear that there was a film there. I just had to sculpt it. I just had to take out all the stuff that wasn't that interesting or repetitive. And when I had a rough cut, I showed it to her. And then I showed it to her a few times in that process. 
just to get her feedback, to see if she was okay in using certain things. She's very sharp. So she had some good critique, which I always have in the last few years have really enjoyed that I can go to her and say, what do you think of this? And she really always has something interesting to say. This is not in the film, but we did shoot when she was 19 on Skype from her dorm room. And the first, the very first rough cut had that footage in the end credits. And it was good. Her whole demeanor is kind of cool. And I enjoyed that. But I felt like it was undercutting the bittersweet ending of age 18. And I just felt it was a stronger film in general and for the viewer to just end on that note. So we do see your wife briefly in the film, but we don't see much of her. And I, I'm curious, you know, over the years, what did she think about the film or the potential film or just the act of shooting this ritual as Ella describes it? I think she just respected the process and tried to stay out of it. She knew it was like this father-daughter thing that we did from when she was just a few months old. We were doing this kind of thing. Maybe there were a couple of years where she forgot that we were filming and was making noise and that created a little tension because we'd have to, I'd have to ask her to be quiet just for an hour. And now she loves the film. So, and Ella does too. So it's all good in the end, but it's hard to do something on a birthday when a kid's growing up. As they get older, they have a lot of plans. So to carve out that time, I'm very grateful to her for that because she didn't always want to do it. I think she rose to the occasion every year. And that if she didn't rise to it, she was at least there. <laughs> She's always interesting to watch and to listen to. And I think for me, one of the most profound aspects is not just watching somebody grow up, but watching a human being develop this concept of perspective on themselves, to stand outside themselves, be able to look at themselves and what they're going through and comment on it. For me, yeah. that seems like something uniquely human. And it's also something that you clearly thought about because you have this question asking her to think about what she would tell her older self who might be looking back at this footage. What can you tell us about this idea of perspective and how you saw your daughter develop it over time? Just as a parent, you see how a child is developing that and getting a, hopefully a stronger sense of self, an observing self. A lot of her answers to some of the questions, like with power, she starts talking about other people. Power is about helping other people. And that takes a certain outlook. And like you're saying, do you point of seeing yourself outside of yourself? I have one more question here for you, which is, what is power? <laughs> oh, very good. Turning the tables. And I'll tell you this. I realized during the course of watching your film and then thinking about these questions and doing this interview, during the course of this interview, I think I came up with an answer for myself. There's a lot of ways you can answer the question about power. But I think the main thing for me is a certain kind of inner strength that you only get through life experiences and tuning in to your higher self. I think that's true power. But what's the answer you have? One thing that occurred to me about what is power watching your film is 
a one word answer, love. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. And it's definitely, I think, a major theme of this film. Oh, I totally you know? agree. In fact, I never asked her what is love. In some ways, I'm glad I didn't because I think it comes out in the film. And if I named it, it would maybe not evolve in the way it does, if that makes sense. It does. Jay, this is the second year we've had you on Top Docs, and I feel like we were maybe a little bit of a good luck charm for you last year. So let's try it again. If you can tell us what's up next for you. You know the expression, three is a charm? <laughs> I hate to disappoint you, but I'm disappointing myself. I do not have a new project that I'm working on. It's hard to be in that place because I've had something on the back burner for decades, always. You know, I'd be well, finishing one film and decide, okay, I'm going to go to this. And I have really struggled with this and I'm just trying to stay in a place that, what's the word, just have faith that something will come. I don't want to push anything or force anything. Yeah, it's not that I don't have a few ideas here and there, but nothing that I feel passionate about. And a long time ago, I decided I can't make any kind of film that I don't feel passionate about. For now, there's nothing. So I can almost guarantee we will not be doing the next year. <laughs> but hopefully in the future, you never know. Thank you so much, Jay, for talking to us about the film. It is lovely and poignant and revelatory. I love longitudinal films, and this is one that will really stay with me. And thanks to you and to Ella for making such a great film. Thank you, Ken. I always enjoy our conversations. Do you have a hidden gem, a documentary film, ideally a short, that you don't think gets the attention that it deserves that you'd like to spotlight today? Well, I don't have a short in mind. I have a, I would say it's a, a short feature, a long, long short. It's 53 minutes and it's called Summer Nights. It's by an Israeli filmmaker named Ohad Milstein. We showed it at the festival that I program here in San Francisco. It was probably my favorite film we showed last summer. It's about the filmmaker and his six-year-old son in their relationship. It's very, very beautiful. It actually would be a nice companion piece with my film. <laughs>